Everybody bring it in. We are back. Michael Jordan press release. Bam. We're back. The read option has returned. Uh, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus. So for anyone who's been out there wondering like, hey, I liked this podcast. I listened to it for a while. And uh, all of a Where sudden it was guys? gone. Yeah, We are back. And as always, uh, joined by Scotty and Vito. Just wanted to clarify here. Uh, had some. Everyone had some life stuff going on. And, you know, we're big, we're very pro mental health, pro life health on this podcast. And I think everyone just needed a quick little refresher as the, uh, you know, football off season is really starting to get underway here. And you know what, guys, we have the tournament coming back. There's so much going on in the sports world. We just had the players championship college basketball is going ape shit. And uh, just as, as quickly as it went away, the read option has returned boys. How the hell are you? I'm so good. So good. I mean, all these sports, man. Uh, baseball is starting to really heat up. I know you guys don't care, but baseball is starting to heat <laughs> up in the spring training. Uh, football is always hot on the stove, uh, to use a baseball metaphor. And, man, am I stoked. Conference championship week for, for the NC2A tournament. Conference championship week was fire. Uh, so I can only imagine what uh, what the actual NC2A tournament is going to bring. Um Really looking forward to that next week. I took Friday off for yeah. the first round. I'm Tradition so, unlike any other, right, Scotty? Oh yeah, baby. Yeah, we'll get <laughs> and we'll get into. We're gonna do a whole bunch of stuff on the NCAA tournament here to wrap up the pod, Vito. But we're 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 repping your wheelhouse today, brother. We're talking all sorts of football, all of our wheelhouses. To be honest, man, There's, you can't get enough of it. No, I'm I'm excited to get into some of this. Obviously, from this weekend, like you said, the golf was awesome. It got down to the end again, like you were saying. Yeah. These tournaments have, have been getting that way. I mean, Westwood you know, sinks that putt on 17, he's pushing the playoff, uh, which would have been so fun. Uh, that could have been wild. So, um, no, I, I thought it was fun golf. There's some fun sports on. I, I love now that we're at the point where there's basketball happening all the time, right? Like yeah. the conference championship weekend is just gets you. It's that little teaser. It's the appetizer before your main course of a goddamn March Madness bracket. It's <laughs> fucking beautiful. It really Loft it. It really is. The smell test is big on this podcast, as, as you will know, as as football season comes closer here. But guys, one of the things that happened uh, in our little hiatus here was we had our one year anniversary of COVID-19. Um, and, and and when I say that, obviously, like, look, it, it, we don't know when it came in. We don't know when it started. We don't know how quickly it came to the country and everything like that. But as far as when the country actually recognized that, like, shit, like we need to lockdown we need to start really changing the way that we're handling this whole situation it all started on march 11th with what is dubbed as the rudy gobert game right in the utah jazz uh you know rudy gobert tested positive turned out donovan mitchell later that night had tested positive and there's there were so many recaps here so we're not going to dive too much into it i'm sure if anyone's listening to this you've, you've heard it on different podcasts radio tv everyone kind of recapped it but i wanted to give us the opportunity to start off the pod today and reflect on the fact that we've been in this world now for a year, which is in a lot of ways, um, it's, it's amazing. Like to think about how the world has adapted and and the human spirit and, and some of the great things that have come out of this, but also like, it's been a really hard year. It's been what it's been the hardest year of my life. It's been the hardest year for, I think pretty much everyone's lives. And 
to take a moment to look back on what it was like, I think is, is a really valuable thing. So what do you remember? I know Vito, we'll, we'll kick it off with you. Cause I know you had a pretty unique experience when it came to March 11th, 2020. Yeah, I was, um, I was over, <laughs> this is crazy. I was over the Atlantic ocean, uh, going to South Africa to visit my grandma and me and my dad were going to visit my grandma and we had these tickets, but we knew that, um, we were going to go and we got, uh, we, he got them for me for Christmas. It was awesome. Um, I haven't been there since 2012 and, uh, love seeing, love seeing that side of my family, uh, especially you don't get to see them often. So got to go out there and, and as we're in flight, like, you know, we had heard COVID was definitely becoming a thing, but it wasn't at the point where it was affecting sports yet. When we left, when I get on the plane, I step off the plane to a whole new world, right? Things are games are shutting down. They're talking about the tournament being shut down. And I'm, again, I'm, I'm in a different time zone, but anyone who's, you know, made, made some overseas trips that first night you're not sleeping well, you know, uh, or you're staying up late, you're waking up early, depending on which way you're going. But either way, I was just listening to some podcasts and, and, and it was starting to really worry me. But then as things progressed and the tournament got canceled, I mean, I was over there for, for a little over, I think it was right around 10 days. So, um, you know, flew back on the 21st, I believe. Yeah. And, and, uh, it was crazy because I'm overseas, um, trying to figure out what's going on with the world, but obviously still enjoying time with my family. We kind of cut off doing what's lucky is I was going overseas to visit family, not to go travel around and drink at a bunch of bars and, you know, tourist stuff. So that was at least good because we were able to kind of just hang out. My, my grandma, you know, she's, she's elderly and I was not going to put her at risk as this is all coming on, you guys remember, like everyone was so scared to do anything. It was, it was yeah. such an unknown fear. So then finally, um, you know, it, time came for us to get our flight, our scheduled flight was going home. We couldn't get one before that. And it didn't really make sense to either. We, we didn't have, we didn't know what was worse because South Africa hadn't had anything yet. So there was also the balance of like, Hey, it's safer here, but we flew back crazy story. We had to, I was supposed to go to New Jersey, we ended up hitting too much headwind. We landed in Miami and then got on a different flight to Philly. And as we're backing up from the airport, the engine explodes. So we move forward. I have to get on another flight. This is all just to get back to Philly. And I'm trying to make this quick, but the point is when all the fear was going on, we're also running through an airport that we weren't supposed to land in, trying to figure out how the hell we're all getting home. And it was a complete free for all. And, and, um, there were so many empty planes. We actually went around with our captain after our, our engine exploded on the flight to Philly and just walked up to other gates. And I'm not kidding. It's like the captain, his crew, all like eight passengers, right? There weren't many people flying. They were just going home. And he, we went up to another gate and they're like, are you going to use your flight? Like, do you need your plane right now? And the guy was like, I guess they had an extra. And so we hopped on that plane and flew to Philly. It was you got an extra mayhem. plane for me. <laughs> it was mayhem. But, but I guess that's all to say is, is that the sports effect and, and everything that was going on here, like um, it all kind of wrapped up and, and it's crazy to think about the unknown and the fear that was going on. But also, um, you know, when you look back over the past year, it's amazing how sports have adapted and have gotten back to normal, but um, you know, that, that was how it all kicked off for me. Uh, what, what about you guys? What, what are your thoughts from a year ago? Well, you know, so I work in college sports and I, I cover college sports for a living. I produce radio in, in college sports. Like that's my whole world. And typically for us, you know, college football season is a marathon that ends with this giant, massive, you know, celebration with the college football playoff. But 
for college basketball, you know, the, the majority of the season under normal circumstances kind of gets overshadowed by college football and then the NFL and Super Bowl and everything like that. So then once you get to the NCAA tournament and the conference tournaments and stuff like that, like you are, you are in the, the, the crux of as much of college sports as you can get. So that day, uh, it was March 12th, actually, you know, Rutgers was on the court for the big 10 tournament. Uh, the Big East tournament was still going off. The ACC tournament had yeah. decided to shut down. Like the we Nova were... game in the ACC, right? And then Florida State was mm-hmm. about to tip off in their first game of the tournament. And we're kind of getting these rumblings. And you know, I was very much on the forefront of just not pessimistic, but just kind of like, there's no, like, there's no way we're getting this done. Like, there's, there's just no way. Like, especially, especially once the NCAA popped on. And and I'm very lucky. I work with uh, Sean Farnham, who is like Scott Van Pelt's kind of like right-hand college basketball guy for a lot of things. And he was on set with uh, Scott Van Pelt doing that sports center the night of the Rudy Gobert game. And he had, you know, Scott asked him, he's like, well, what does this mean for college basketball? What does this mean for the NCAA tournament? And Farnham said in that moment, like we we've seen our last college basketball game for this year. And he was just telling the story wow. to me yesterday off air. Like he was getting hit up by, coaches and athletic directors saying you can't say this on air like we don't know yet we're still trying to save this thing and credit to Farnham you know he was just saying what he felt in this in that moment and you know Scott Van Pelt did a podcast recapping that night where they were on air live for like an hour and a half like without commercial break where they were just kind of ripping through trying to figure it out and the overwhelming thing I remember from that whole two three day stretch was just like this is real and I remember being amazed at like how much of a sport, like how much of a sports centered culture we are. And we've talked about this on the pod before, but that it took something in the sports world happening for the rest of the country to finally realize. And, and Fauci actually had testified in Congress that day. Tom Hanks had tested positive that day. Uh, he was shooting a movie in Australia. So there was a lot of this stuff kind of going on that was slowly, but surely was kind of coming out. And it was just this overwhelming sense of, like this isn't happening and, and shit's yeah. changing and we need to brace and be ready for whatever the next few months, I think was what we thought of at first we're going to be like. And then once we were in it and the lockdowns happened and all that kind of stuff, it, it turned into, all right, just survive mode, you know, be, be flexible, be willing to adjust and, and survive. And, and it was, it was a pretty, it was a, as a day in a, a series of days that I will never forget. Um, yeah. And, and, I I'm very thankful to have been like kind of firsthand involved, I guess, in some sort of way. Cause I think it gave me a pretty unique perspective on just how heavy this all felt, you know, like for the NCAA tournament there, there it's the most valuable sports property in all of sports, more valuable than the Super Bowl, more valuable than anything else. March madness is the most valuable singular sports, uh, pros, uh, sports property in all of in, in, in the world. And for the, the fact that, the NCAA canceled that and the impact that it would have. And they had a secure, they had an insurance policy on it. So that way they'd be able to recoup some of those losses. But we're talking about making billions of dollars. And I've said this to you before in conversations off air veto, you know, if the NCAA went two years without having a tournament, it, it would crumble. The, the entire infrastructure of college sports would crumble immediately. And we saw already how many different programs and, and teams got cut from different teams, athletic programs across the country this year. Uh, that would have been a, a massacre 
when it came to the way we view college sports, because that's just how valuable it is. So it's, it's great that we get to keep it alive this year for the student athletes, the people who play lacrosse and rowing and crew and track and field and these non-revenue generating sports that we're able to salvage the NCAA tournament and, and try to be able to keep the NCAA afloat. But obviously all of this is bigger than sports. And I think that was yeah. kind of the thing. It was sports was the messenger to tell us like, wow, this, this really is, you know, huge and this is going to change yeah. the, the whole world that's a cool perspective jeff that's really wild i remember um <clears throat> i was at i was at spring training the week before in arizona because <clears throat> i was out visiting my mom who lives in scottsdale my favorite team is the san francisco giants naturally and um i was out uh in scottsdale with my wife and it was the first time that i had, she had, or i had ever been out to, to spring training and we went to one game on one day totally normal we went to a game the the very next day, uh, no joke. And uh, you know how at spring training, the players get a little more relaxed with the rules. It's easier to get autographs. Uh, it's easier to get like like souvenirs and balls and that the, that sort of thing, right? And I remember a kid walking up to a Giants player who was uh, he was throwing, he was right out by the 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 back bullpens of the practice field, and he asked for an autograph, and the guy goes, "Well." I can't remember the player for the life of me, but the player goes, um, well, I would love to, but we're not supposed to uh, sign anything because of this COVID thing. And I was like, oh, this COVID thing. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, a, uh, it'll be gone in a few weeks. So we'll be good. Um, and the, the next thing we know, I'm back at work the next week, listening to exactly that, the, the ACC uh, tournament games and the, uh, the, uh, the Big East tournament games that were can- the Villanova one was canceled at halftime, I believe, right? And um, and that's and the the Go Bear game was right right around that time. And I remember just this monumental shift in my head that was like, oh, this COVID thing, as that that Giants player referred to it as, is very real, and it's going to change our world forever. Yeah. And uh, and boy, were were was he or was that right that that everything was going to change and really i'm i'm so happy now that we've gotten to a point a year on um it, it, both in sports and uh thankfully in uh, in the rest of society where we've we've been able to have this um sort of resilient moment where um i mean here we are uh, uh just over a year later and now we're having um what what we think are safely having uh, 20,000 fans uh, allowed at baseball stadiums in the coming season. Right. Yeah. Um, and slowly basketball teams are starting and, and everyone across sports and it's becoming safer for us to be around each other and closer to each other. Um, and when thing, something like sports brings us together as much as it does, it's nice to be able to, to start sharing that with other people again. No. And that's a really good thought to have Scott. I mean, it's, it's so easy to write off sports as like it's a bunch of millionaires playing a game, right? It's a bunch of people, you know, doing this and, and that. And, and to an extent that is true, right? There are always going to be things in the world that are bigger than sports, but at the same time, that doesn't undervalue how important sports are and the impact that they can have positively. And I, I think back to when, um, even when golf started kind of coming back with no fans, right. And, and people stopped betting on obscure, uh, things like veto, like 
you know, Australian women's soccer and, and like an horse bet racing in, in the middle East and like all anything that people could get action on, like, you know, and obviously aside from even just the gambling aspect of it, just being able to have something to watch, to sit down, to feel a sense of comfort. Like I think one of the ultimate things that will forever be, uh, I would say legacy, I guess is kind of a, a, an interesting word to kind of frame this in is just that, mental health has never been valued more in our country than it is because of this year. And that doesn't make up for the half a million people that we've lost. I mean, I, I lost a loved one from COVID and I, and I know many other people out there who have, um, but it does give us a sense of normalcy. And as human beings, we, we crave social interaction. We crave being together. It's a part of what it means to, to be a, a human like as our species. That's it's part of our nature. So when sports and sports play such a major role in that. And I think the return of it, whether it was the NBA bubble, whether it was the NFL season, you know, they, they always found a way whenever things got tough that I think people really turned to sports when they came back to get through. And, you know, for pro athletes, it's one thing to be like, look, they get paid a lot of money. It's a risk reward and they can make that decision on their own. I look at the college football players, the college basketball players, any college yeah. athlete who was willing to go out and, and risk it because to them it meant so much to have that sense of normalcy, to do the thing that they're passionate about and that they love. Um, but more importantly, like, uh, and, and that is the most important part, but I, I look at the, the basketball, like, what these basketball players have been doing, man, they got back to campus and have been living in isolated dorms for eight or nine months. Many of them have not gone home to see their family. Many of them have not been able to go explore and, and do the things that they want to do because they're committed to playing a sport and they're not even getting paid. They get an education and that's obviously valued and that's an important thing too. But uh, it really is, it is amazing to see what the last you know year has looked like. And I don't know about you guys, but like for me, it's felt like the longest year of my life. And also oh, like, yeah. holy shit, how has it been a year already? And I, I don't know. I don't know how we got there, but uh, I think I think that's a good place to leave on because we don't want to be down and sad too much because there's a lot of fun football, basketball, things we got to get into, and we'll get into it. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. All right, and we are back. Boys, it's time to do our favorite thing, talk about football. And honestly, like the NFL really has started to turn more and more like the NBA where the off season is such a big deal. And people like, you know, ESPN has about five days in a row of free agency coverage as, as it started today. So we will also keep you up to date because there have been a lot of signings that have happened today as we're recording this at six o'clock on Monday and anything that breaks, anything we find out, we will pass along mid recording here, but keep in mind that, you know, if we miss something, something breaks later on tonight, it may not be, in this but guys before we get into the stuff that's happened today the biggest signing that we've seen so far was Dak Prescott and the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys finally got his long-term deal and I gotta say like right off the bat there is like there's no way Dak could have played this any better there's there's no way and I found it very interesting that there were stories about Kirk Cousins reaching out to Dak when it came to how to manage and navigate the whole franchise tag situation because if you if you work it to your advantage you can really really like make off well from it and Kirk Cousins did it right he did it for two years and everyone thought he was gonna get tagged for that third year after a while and he was stuck there in Washington and finally Washington was like all right you know what we're just we're, we're not committed we don't think this is our long-term guy 
We're going to move on. And he went off and signed the first fully guaranteed contract in NFL history. And he broke off $96 million in addition to being paid $30 million a year for the two years. So we're talking about like in a three-year span, Kirk Cousins making like $125 million, which is absurd. It's an insane amount of money. And Dak Prescott in the last three years has now made over 120 something million dollars. So I'm curious to start off. Obviously we can get into the football side of it, but from a contractual standpoint, we've talked about this before as well. The franchise tag for a long time was viewed as a way for owners and GMs and front offices to gain control and kind of still leverage a certain amount of control over players, preventing them from getting into free agency. And now we're seeing that the players are finding ways to make advantage of it because everyone thought the one downside of, of playing under the franchise tag is, yeah, but what happens if you get hurt? Well, we saw what happens when, you know, Dak Prescott got hurt, had a catastrophic injury, and yet he still signs a four-year $160 million contract the next offseason. Yeah, I, you know, Whoever his agent is, sign me up because uh, I'm going to sign him up to be my Wall Street agent. Uh, Jesus, I mean that that the way that he worked that system, and yeah, I mean it's uh, you got to understand that for a couple of years, you're going to go through a lot of crap. Uh, the organization's not going to treat you fairly, but um, at the end of the rainbow here is is a nice little contract, and you play for, you're playing for a, a good team if you're going to talk football team. Um, I think I think the the Cowboys are well prepared to uh, to make a run in that NFC East, which is getting weaker and weaker by the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, good for Dak, and he deserves it. Honestly, he's he's he, he really deserves it. He's one of the the better young quarterbacks in the league right now. I agree. I, I loved. Everyone has to take a step back and remember when he was playing at the beginning of the season, he was slinging it. Like he was in those games with like 500 yard passing. There was no Dallas defense. That was a historic, terrible defense for the first four games ever. And it's just wild that he was still like squeaking out 45 to 42 victories or whatever it was. Like that was so fun to watch. He just balled. And I think, yes, it it stinks. You got hurt. And as a, as an organization, um, it seems like Dallas struggled a little bit on what they were going to do, or at least it took longer than I think a lot of us thought. Because uh, in my standpoint, the way he balled, you you give him the money, like let's do this again. Because uh, that to. team without him was was barely like I mean, think about how bad that division was this year, and they didn't they weren't on top with him. They're gonna I think just tear the whole thing down. Yeah, and it's a it's a great point because the va- you saw what happened when Ben DiNucci and and even Andy Dalton went in to play quarterback, right? DiNucci. Like, you see firsthand how valuable someone like Dak Prescott is. Now I'll be the first one to admit, like I'm not the highest guy on Dak Prescott and that's removing any sort of bias towards the Cowboys. Yeah. I was going to that was my next question. (laughs) Because like coming, coming into the league, he had every single possible thing around him that you could possibly have to be successful. He had um, arguably one of the best offensive lines we've seen in the last decade. He had Ezekiel Elliott, who was just a monster at the time. Des Bryant was still a Pro Bowl wide receiver. Jason Witten is a reliable pass catching tight end. And you had a really good defense. You had, you know, Jalen Smith and, and Vander Esch kind of came on that year. So mm-hmm. right out of the gates, it was kind of like, man, like, how can I properly evaluate Dak Prescott when he's been handed every single possible advantage to be great at coming into league? Now, that's not taking anything away from him because at the end of the day, you can have all of that and still suck. But if Sam Darnold was in that situation, right, and not with the New York Jets, and that was the team he got drafted into, 
Sam Darnold, we wouldn't be talking about trading Sam Darnold. We talk about Sam Darnold with one of the biggest contracts in NFL history, more than likely. So I want to transition a little more because I think the contract is fair. You pay a market price when it comes to the quarterback position. You do. Uh, Dak is better than what I thought initially. And I, I will absolutely own up. I think Dak is a very good quarterback. I think he's a top 10 guy. Uh, I think he's a top five fantasy quarterback. Uh, but you look at the weapons around him, the defense, I still have a lot of questions about. We'll see what they address in the draft. If they can bring anybody here in free agency that can really help them. But I don't know what is like, where do you rank Dak in terms of quarterbacks in the NFL? Cause I, I don't think you can get past 10, but I, I wouldn't put him in the top five, probably not even the top six. That's a hard, that's a hard man. I, I honestly want to say he is right in the top 10, but he's probably at nine. Like I, I'm going to pull up the list here in a second and, and run through these because I think it's worth um, looking at because, and obviously I think we all know who the top couple guys are. And, and I think it really depends on like the conversation. Where, where's Brady? At? And, oh yeah. Yeah. There it is. Scott. Um, but it, it really I mean, he's not comes... better than Mahomes, right? He's not better than Rogers. He's so, not better. He's not better than Russell Wilson. Yeah, he's not better than Josh Allen. What about Kyler? Josh Allen. He's not better. Okay, is he better than Tom Brady? I think Tom Brady's better than him. Yeah. After what I, we saw last year, yeah. Lamar. I, I think Herbert's jumped him. Frankly, Herbert's a really interesting one because if you're talking about who would you rather have as your quarterback right now, I think I would rather have Justin Herbert. Yeah, that's not a yeah. I mean uh, Watson I too. That, I'd go Watson. Herbert, I go. I go over I would, him. I would rather have Watson. I'd, so I'd, I would put Lamar over him. I would uh, the, the Tannehill. No, I, I don't think so. No. I think I think Kyler. I would put above him, and I would have Dak ahead of Kyler. You would okay. I yeah, would I'm Ky- still I'm still not sold on Kyler as okay. as as a winner. Uh, just overall, and that's again a conversation I'd love to get into. But like, uh, Dak, Dak does everything you need, but he doesn't win you games. Right when when it was him versus Carson Wentz and both teams sucked coming down the stretch, Wentz always got the better of him. And I'm not saying Wentz is a better quarterback right now. I think from what we've seen, Dak is the better quarterback right now. But Carson Wentz's ceiling, his closing ability, all that stuff has been better than Dak this entire since they came into the league. And and that I think is inarguable. Now Indianapolis Wentz, Dak very well could be on could have been on his way last season to having the the equivalent of whatever 2017 was for Carson Wentz oh, before yeah. he got hurt, right? Like and now he, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. Oh, well, that's mean. <laughs> um, We're just gonna negate that comment from Scott here. <laughs> Scott's Scott's opinions and views do not represent those of me and Vito and or the Read Option podcast. So uh, going back to the point though, <laughs> I have Kyler. I I I basically have Kyler ahead of him at at eight. I have Dak nine, and then I would put Herbert at 10. So I think he's right in that top 10 range to your point. It's crazy that this contract represents him because you're not – I don't think you put him above all those guys uh, that we had ran through. So, I mean, what does that say about what the tag's value is? Yeah, uh, well – It's it's market value, more more yeah. or less, right? Because because the way you get to the tags, you average the top salary of the of the top five players – salaries at that position and then you take mm-hmm. the average of that and then that's what the franchise tag is for the year so it's essentially it's it's you're, you're paying whatever the market value would be for a top level player at that position the difference for quarterbacks is that any quarterback that hits a free open market is always going to get overpaid regardless of how good they are remember how obsessed we were about kirk cousins 
Kirk oh, Cousins yeah. was the lead story on Get Up and First Take and Undisputed and all these shows for months on end. And we're talking about Kirk Cousins, right? We're, yeah. we're not talking like about some, some great player. We're talking about an average quarterback who with, I'd, I'd say above average, but not top, top much 10 above. fantasy I mean, quarterback. Top 15, but like a, a winning quarterback. He's maybe in the top 15, right? Dak is better than Kirk Cousins. But he's also, he's not Mahomes. And so every time there's new quarterback contract that comes out there, Wentz, Goff, uh, Tannehill, like every single time, Deshaun Watson, every single time you're going to one-up the next one because that is the value. That's just what quarterbacks go for when when they sign new contracts. When is anybody going to learn about this market, though? How many years has Tom Brady taken a pay cut? And how many freaking rings does he have? What's the pay cut to ring ratio? On the quarterbacks, you don't need to pay a quarterback half a billion dollars to to win you Super Bowls. That's, I mean, what are we doing? Well, I would say you have a half a billion dollar quarterback not getting half a billion dollars for a long time. That's it's it's. I think in the market, that's what he's worth, and that's where it's at now. But I, I guess my point is that the franchise tag and what the value is. It's interesting when you look at Jeff. To your point, quarterbacks, it's a good buy, right? Um, you know, and, and some of the other ones you'll see though, sometimes it's a player who's really integral and there's not like a left tackle out there. And uh, then you get a left tackle franchise tagged. Who's not, you know, a top five left tackle and those guys make bank. So it's funny when you look at the position based off your need and how it's used in the NFL, when you, when you care enough to be listening to this podcast, you know what I mean? Like th- yeah. then, then it gets down. It's really interesting when teams use it and don't. And I think we have some interesting cases of that this year. There's there. It was an interesting year, both for when you decide and don't decide to tag somebody, right? Because you look at somebody like Kenny Galladay, who, if if you are the Lions, without knowing anything else, right, remove some of the other stuff, you would think like, why would you not want to? You have an ability to bring this guy back, and as kind of fucked up as it is, he doesn't have a say in the matter. So you have this talented wide receiver who has put up through his first three seasons, identical statistics to Calvin Johnson in his first three seasons in Detroit. And you are letting him walk. But then you add the context in of, okay, this team is rebuilding. They signed Tyrell Williams to replace Kenny Galladay, and, and Tyrell Williams hasn't played in two years. You know, he, he, he opted out because of COVID, and he had an injury from the year before. So it is absolutely fascinating. And I think it's a good transition point here, Vito, because I want to run through just the names. I think we ended up having like 10 guys or so get get tagged. And and I'll just run through the list here. So we had Chris Godwin from the wide receiver from Tampa Bay. He got tagged. Uh, Marcus May, safety, New York Jets. Denver Broncos, safety, Justin Simmons. Washington football team, Brandon Scherf. Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Cam Robinson, offensive tackle. That one really surprised me. Uh, Marcus Williams is safety from the New Orleans, New Orleans Saints. Given the cap hell that they are in, I was shocked to see that they were willing to do that. Uh, Leonard Williams, New York Giants, defensive lineman. He's coming back. Allen Robinson, wide receiver from the Bears. Uh, Taylor Moten from the Carolina Panthers is an offensive tackle. And ironically enough, Dak Prescott, because of the way that it was a procedural thing in order to make the contract work, he had to sign uh, – the franchise tag, though, this year he will not be playing under the franchise tag either. One last thing about the Dak contract, too. It's only four years. All right. At that point, Dak will be in his early 30s, and we've seen how long quarterbacks can play, and he will not be eligible to be franchise tagged at that point. 
So once that contract ends up, if it doesn't work in Dallas, he will be $160 million richer from this contract. He will have had two years of making uh, over $35 million from the franchise tag. And he will be a, uh, what you would think would be a pretty premium quarterback hitting an open market. So Dak Prescott is set for life. I never want to hear anybody yeah. say, oh, poor Dak Prescott ever, ever again. Uh, but guys, of this list, and remember too, just because you tag somebody doesn't mean you can't sign a contract, you can't sign an extension uh, to, to take the tag off of them. So a lot of times it's just to buy more time before free agency. Who was the name on this list that jumped out to you? Vito, I think I know where, you, where you're going to be going. So, Scotty, why don't you hit us up first? Who is the name that jumps off of our franchise tag list here in 2021? Uh, my two Penn State guys, frankly. Uh, Allen Robinson, uh, probably the leader in that category. It just, like, this is one of those things where the French, I don't particularly, like, enjoy the franchise tag because it does the opposite of player empowerment. Um, and this is one of the existing reasons why um al robinson can uh, is what he's one of the best wide receivers in the national football league right now the dude doesn't drop the ball like ever um <laughs> he's had over 100 catches for two straight years without dropping the ball and um you know strategically it's a great move for the bears uh, especially knowing what they don't know about their quarterback situation uh, at least whoever they bring in uh there will have somebody to throw to and if they're if they're lucky enough to get russell wilson which i don't think is going to happen but there's been rumblings about that um or deshaun watson even but the, i don't think that's going to happen either uh then then he has somebody to throw to but to the degree that we're we're empowering players to make these free agent decisions i get i can almost guarantee you chicago is not a place anymore where Allen robinson wants to be He's a guy who does everything for that for that offense. Uh, Sands uh, David Montgomery in weeks fourteen through sixteen, and and Allen Robinson is a guy who who can go and be a successful franchise legit wide receiver one in, in anywhere, literally anywhere. Please come to the Niners. Oh my God, that would be great. Um, but. I, I, it's a it's a good strategic move for the Bears. Again, I get it. Um, I just think that he could he could be much better suited somewhere else. And uh, and it's the reason I hate the franchise tag for for um, for strangleholding a guy like that into a particular franchise. Godwin was interesting too. I think um, I think that was really a Tom Brady call. Honestly, I think uh, Brady loves to throw to particular guys, and Godwin is one of those guys. He he trusts him uh, as we saw in the playoff game against the Packers um, among other times during the season. And uh, I think that was a, a Tom Brady call bringing Chris Godwin back. Uh, Cause he, there's another one who could hit, hit the open market and been a legit wide receiver one almost anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I don't have the same level of vitriol as you when it comes to the franchise tag, because you also have to remember like, it does protect the franchises in a lot of ways. Um, not that they necessarily need to, but if you're in a place like Jacksonville, where let's so say you hit on some draft picks and you've had a couple bad years, uh, but then guys just want to leave because they don't want to live in Jacksonville, like that that ultimately does suck for that team, that general yeah, manager, no, his I, teammates, yeah. everything else going in, involved in it. You're also paying him market value, so. You know, I'm not going to lose sleep over Allen Robinson making over $20 million this year. Like, I'm, I just no. don't feel bad about that. 
That being said, it is a year of their prime, more than likely. So you're worried about it. I think for Chicago, if you're a fan of the Bears, what's interesting about the Allen Robinson you know, franchise tag and some of the moves that they've made is they've cleared up a lot of cap space. So I see them doing one of two things here, which is sell as much of the farm as they have left. Because you got to remember, when you have a head coach and a general manager who are on hot seats, and Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy have been on the hot seat now for two years – Right. So that seat is yeah, ever since the double joint. Hot. They yeah. will do anything possible. And not only that, they drafted Mitch Trubisky. They traded up to draft Mitch Trubisky ahead of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Fair or unfair, that will stick with both of them for the rest of their lives and the Chicago Bears for that matter. So when you're a GM coach on the hot seat, you will do anything you can to keep your job. That is the reality of it. So either they're going to sell whatever's left of the farm keep a wide receiver invest in the offensive line as much as you can. Cause they actually have a pretty decent offensive line in Chicago and then go out and make a blockbuster trade for Russell Wilson, which I think is potentially in the cards. It seems like there's been a little more rumblings every day that that might be something that happens or to trade up and draft a quarterback. Cause a young quarterback on a rookie deal, you can go to your owner and say, Hey, look, we have this rookie quarterback. Like we have pieces, like we're, we're kind of rebuilding with some of the things we have now, but we think this guy can come in and win right away. So I get where you're coming from though. Like we are in the era of player empowerment. So we, we do want to make sure that players have a voice that's being heard, but like we just had the conversation with Dak and Kirk cousins, like players are finding ways to leverage the franchise tag to their benefit. Um, Vito, who is your, stand out i think I, I have a pretty strong feeling i know where you're going here from the franchise tag list who do you got oh you know it's my boy justin simmons safety for the denver broncos i mean i i think we talked about it a few episodes ago just the fact that he's such a difference maker on a defensive unit that we really need um and it was he was the one i was most worried about for denver getting away uh, i love that we tagged him i think he's worth every penny uh, to put it in perspective for those who, you know, a lot of people might not know how good defensive players are because they don't have stats associated with it. He was uh, a 90 in Madden. So if that <laughs> equates to anybody out there, he's very good. Uh, 90s are hard to get nowadays in Madden. So, um, you know, EA's rating system with them and FIFA is very similar. Well, FIFA is a little downgraded, but for anyone out there playing sports games, you know how hard that is to get to that 90 level. So very, very happy about Justin Simmons and franchise tagging him. Yeah, he's a stud, man. And and his whole story of, of how they drafted him and, and he was kind of relatively unknown working his way up. And then in a lot of ways, it's a sign, it's such a sign of respect that like, hey, we're, we're going to put the franchise tag on you because we think you are one of the five best players at this position in the entire NFL. Uh, and we're going to pay you accordingly. Now, the long-term money is always a thing with the NFL, but I think he's an awesome pickup and in a Vic Fangio defense where it's always going to be rooted in defense, uh, just like a lot of Denver has been historically with the exception of the Peyton Manning year where he just exploded uh, to have a core anchor on the, on the defensive end, I think is, is massive. Um, for me, I look at, I, there's a couple of names that really jump off here. I mean, the one that surprised me the most was Cam Robinson. Uh, yeah. Cam Robinson was not looked at as a bust necessarily, but I think he had a lot more hype and there were a lot of people who thought he was going to be better than he was coming out of Alabama. He's a physical freak, right? Like he's kind of everything you want in terms of the build and stature. And, you know, you, you draw up and you think up of a prime left tackle that you'd want protecting your quarterback. Uh, you, you think of a guy who looks like Cam Robinson. And the one thing I thought was interesting, and maybe it's just because 
you know, Trent Williams is at a stage of his career where he wants to win and he doesn't necessarily want to be building up, but Jacksonville wanted to protect Trevor, wants to protect Trevor Lawrence. And if you're not getting Trent Williams in free agency, then Cam Robinson and bringing him back is, is the best thing you can do because even though he's not a top five uh, talent when it comes to the left tackle position, he will be prote- uh, productive. He will protect Trevor Lawrence. He understands the system. And, you know, I trust Urban Meyer when it comes to player evaluations. I think that's one of his absolute strong suits. And and finding any way that it's like, you know, maybe he's not the top end left tackle. He still has the potential to get there. But he's not going to be a guy who's just letting your franchise rookie quarterback get absolutely smoked, especially after what we saw with Joe Burrow this year. Exactly. And to put in comparison back to the Madden ratings, he's a 75. He's that guy who's, who's your guy who's going to be a starter until you can get someone full term, but you're right. He's not, this isn't going to be circa 2002 Texans with Derek Carr, right? Like just getting sacked all the time. Like you got to keep your best players in the line. And we always talk about those head coaches. If there's not someone out there better, don't go away from your guy uh, coach up and develop them. A lot of players can make progress year after year with the same coordinators and position yeah. coaches and all of that. So I, I think this was a surprise for sure. Uh, then you're right, Jeff, when you zoom in and look at some of the details, it, it makes sense for this team. It, it is again, one of those spots where you're giving up a lot of money, but it's one year and it, they have a lot of cap room and it wasn't going to go anywhere else too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, I think it's a really smart move. I think, I think you're, at the very least, you know what the floor is. And you know what the level of production you're going to get for for Trevor Lawrence or protection, I should say, that you're going to get for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I also look at uh, I mentioned it a little bit when I was quickly kind of going through the Marcus Williams uh, franchise tag was interesting because New Orleans is a, is a really good team when you look at their roster. But when you look at their cap situation, they're an absolute cap hell. And yeah. what we've learned here over the last two weeks is that. Being in cap hell isn't really a thing because teams can just transfer the way. And, and Howie Roseman was on the very cutting edge of this, right? Restructuring guys' deals, turning it into signing bonuses, floating money around, making it work. Like these are Wall Street guys. They're wizards with numbers and they can figure out a way like way smarter than me or you or any of us here when it comes to the numbers aspect of it. We just kind of be like, oh, you can do that? Oh, okay, that makes sense. And they figure out ways to make it work. Now, Drew Brees announced his retirement yesterday, uh, which was an incredible career. And congratulations to, to Drew on that and everything else that's been there. It's sad to see a legend leave the game, but I think we all, and I, and I said this to you guys all season, like dude was cooked. Like he was cooked last year and he was really cooked this year. Uh, they did some interesting stuff. They signed Taysom Hill to a $140 million contract. That's not actually a $140 million contract. That's every single year is voidable. So they'll be able to basically eliminate all of that $140 million with the exception. I think it's worse than a franchise tag. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It's like, Hey, you're Taysom Hill for the rest of his life can walk around and be like, I signed a $140 million contract. And then, and then you realize like, Oh wait, yeah, actually, no, he saw about $12 million of that 140 years, but they've been very, very clever in the way that they've gone about trying to, you know, maneuver money. And that's why this Marcus Williams one is really surprising to me because no question, he's a really great player, and he was an anchor on a really, really good defense, especially with Malcolm Jenkins on the back end. But to give up that amount of money for a guy who, when you're in that kind of cap situation, just was really surprising. Leonard Williams, I loved, and I loved the change of scenery. Right, And I say change of scenery, he literally just changed locker rooms from the Jets over to the Giants. But that was a really, really good defense in uh, in, in New York this year. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about with, with this – uh, with Dak in the NFC East being so up in the air, like 
there's some things to like about Washington. There's some things to like about New York. And I, I don't know if it's going to be as wide open as people might assume that it's going to be. And I think Leonard Williams could be a big reason for that. Uh, and, and I guess just the last one here I wanted to hit on a little bit was Marcus May, who not a lot of people know, but he's a safety for the Jets. Uh, and, and the Jets had to trade away Jamal Adams this year. And, and that was an untenable situation. It was time for him to move on. He was going to be getting a new contract. And the Jets have a really smart front office run by a really smart guy in Joe Douglas who understands value. He understands where he can get good value at an effective cost. You're keeping this guy around. Uh, and, and this is a make or break kind of, maybe not make or break. This is a, uh, like, I need to see something here from the Jets. We need to see something from the Jets. It's been mediocrity for years now since that 10 and six season under Todd Bowles. So I think this is a, another example, a sneaky good example of how awesome that front office is in New York. And, and I really like the Marcus May signing there for the Jets. And, and Hey, uh, he's another one that they think very well could, you know, they could be restructuring his, um, his deal. They could find a way to make him yeah. play not on the tag this year and just get him locked up more long-term. I wouldn't be surprised, especially after signing a defensive minded head coach and Robert Sala. Um, and I think they're going to be aggressive on the free agent market for the rest of their defense as well. Cause that's, I mean, they, they have holes everywhere. I mean, everywhere. That's why they were two and 14 and they haven't been any good since that 10 and six season with Todd Bowles. Um, yeah. But, but to shore up that defense, especially under Salah, that's probably going to be priority number one for him. So, well, and in the vein I was just alluding to there about trying to, you know, you don't tag somebody to try to work out a deal. I think a good place to start here as we transition now to more of the free agency stuff is Aaron Jones, who I think a lot of people thought was a was a prime candidate to be franchise tagged, and he ends up signing a four year deal to stay in Green Bay. They announced today, uh, Jamal Williams announced today that he'd be leaving Green Bay via Instagram which is now what the players do. There's some player empowerment for you, Scotty. They get to yeah, announce yeah. it on their own, on their Instagram. That's the same, yeah. right? All right. Um, yeah, for sure. Aaron Jones, 26-year-old running back, has been nothing but productive for them, has been relatively healthy. Obviously, they had the COVID scare in that running back room that left them pretty thin. But Aaron Jones is, is just a stud. And it does make me question a little bit more about like what their front office was thinking in the draft last year, right? Like, they drafted a quarterback in the first round. Everyone was like, why, why were you drafting a quarterback in the first round? And then they draft a running back in the second round or third round, whenever they took AJ Dillon out of Boston college, you think, all right, he's going to be the replacement for Aaron Jones. And yet, no, we're going to sign Aaron Jones to a four-year deal. Now in terms of running back contracts, it's extremely team friendly. It's four years, 40 something million dollars. So you're not breaking the bank. It's not Derek Henry. It's not Dalvin cook. It's not Zeke Elliott. It's not any of those other, you know, big running back contracts that we've seen. But it is kind of it makes me at least question a little bit about what Green Bay is doing out there. Um, but let's start uh, now just looking through the free agency thing. Some of the some of the deals we've seen signed primarily have been uh, they've been all over the place. Right. Uh, Mark Ingram signed a one year deal with Houston, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, yeah. Kyle Juice, you got Juice back in San Francisco. Yeah, buddy. Juice uh, check. Five year deal for a fullback. I loved it. It's the best it was... fullback in the league, man. Oh, for sure. And especially with Anthony Sherman uh, retiring this year. I, I, I love that deal that they, they definitely paid for him. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, but after everything, Johnny Smith, we saw that the Patriots just went all in signing people today. They signed Johnny Smith to a four year, $50 million deal with the Patriots. Uh, the offensive Matt line. 
Matt, Matthew Judon, uh, you know, the Patriots, uh, Jalen Mills went to the Patriots. So the, the Patriots are extremely active. That defense next year is going to be terrifying. Cause you gotta remember yeah. high towers coming back next year, right? Uh, you're going to have a more engaged Stephon Gilmore next year in new England, but they also signed cam Newton, which I have to say guys was shocking. What was your reaction when cam Newton was signed back in new England? My first thought was, I wonder how many deals they tried to make for like other quarterbacks. Like, I, I wonder what Josh McDaniels and, and, and just like, I'm wondering about the offense last year and obviously down the stretch, it faded and they didn't win many down the stretch and, and like new England struggled as a team, but we always heard reports about how he was the first guy in and the last guy out and to make new England respect you enough to sign you for another year. It makes me think that he at least isn't, he's not the problem in the locker room. Now, if on the field, it's, it's not right. There's something there. I also think it was the offense. They had him run, right? Like yeah. this wasn't the Panthers offense where he lit it up and was MVP. This was a completely different style of offense that resembled closer to what, you know, I saw with Tim Tebow, honestly, um, than, than this Carolina offense, but it was, I think, interesting in terms of what it said about him as a person. And I think a lot of, I, I lived in Carolina when he went on that MVP run. I lived in Charlotte and just outside. And, and I remember how he was spoken about. And he's always giving all the touchdown balls to kids and, and how he kind of got ripped apart a little bit when he started, his play wasn't going so well. People didn't like his antics or I guess the way he dressed, right. Brings a lot of attention to him in the post-game press conferences. So it was really interesting to see that side of it. And I think it hopefully gains a little respect for him in terms of like, I know that I respect Bill Belichick so much that if he is going to sign a quarterback again, it means that he saw something in him or maybe to, to the point of earlier, maybe there's no one else better out there, but I, I think that says something about his personality. No, I agree. I think it was, it's hard to impress a guy like Bill Belichick and for especially that offense that Cam Newton was thrown into and for Bill Belichick to have just come off of a, a divorce with Tom Brady <clears throat> after 19 years, the, the fact that, Bill Belichick is probably, I would guess, the one to the biggest proponent of bringing Cam Newton back. To impress Bill Belichick like that uh, has to say something about Cam Newton and his ability on the football field and off. Um, but, but yeah, I, 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 I like the signing. He's, I think he's got a lot left in the tank. I really do. And uh, if they, if they shore up that defense and and bring in some some offensive weapons, then uh, like they did with Johnny Smith. Uh, in free agency just earlier today i think they're they're going to be a dangerous team yeah i think getting a tight end was really smart um but i also don't think they're done at the quarterback position i i don't think they're i don't think you bring back cam newton after what you saw last year and think oh yeah i'm bringing in a guy who's now going to be a difference maker I, i'm going to bring a guy who can now be my long-term option i think this is by by everything it seems you know just as far as knowing bill belichick and, and the way he has kind of operated over the years he doesn't usually go after a whole lot of guys in free agency or when he does, he goes for, for very specific reasons. Yeah. Right? This is the guy who, who traded away Chandler Jones in, in his prime uh, to bring in uh, Chris long. And, and I'm blanking on the other guy's name, the other defensive end, but the year they went and go, went on to win the super bowl against Atlanta, right? He traded away a prime pr pass rusher, one of the best in the league to bring in guys that fit what he wanted to do. And I don't know exactly what the plan is for Cam Newton. I don't know if, 
they actually expect him to be the day one starter. But I would be really surprised if this was not a, hey, we're now going to go up and draft a guy. You know, I don't uh, yeah. think I, I, right now I don't think they're going to trade for anybody. I think you can move them off the list of potential destiny. I mean, and look, he wasn't on Russell Wilson's list. I don't think they were ever in the running for Deshaun Watson, which we don't even know if there is a running for Deshaun Watson at this point because Houston yeah. still hasn't budged on that. Um, but it, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating move to, to bring him back after what we saw last year. Now, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt. He had COVID right before the season, and we've seen a lot, and he was very open about some of his struggles with it and how it affected him physically. So I think it's very – it's fair to look at it and question a little bit and be like, hmm, like I wonder what it is that he's thinking with yeah. this. But also, I th- I, I'm never going to be the guy who sits there and questions Bill Belichick. No, I think, Jeff, to your point too, if – Belichick's also a guy who doesn't, you know, take what he sees in front of him and go, this is the end all be all like perhaps Bill Belichick is looking two years down the line. And like, he's got a quarterback in mind uh, that's in college right now. That's going to be in the draft. Um, And the way it usually shakes out for new England, they're always in the mix for, and now looks like this year is a good year to do that. Um, But maybe Bill Belichick has something else in mind. And he's like, We'll take Cam Newton now, shore up the defense for four more years, and uh, um, see where it goes. Well, there's no question the defense is going to be nasty. Uh, obviously, having oh, yeah. high tower, Judon, that linebacking edge room is going to be nasty. Dude, you, they're going to get alluded after to it the quarterback. Off, you alluded to it off, off the air, Scotty. Uh, think about bringing back Kyle Van Noy, who just oh, got yeah. released. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. He's done that in the past with Jamie Collins, bringing you know certain players back. Uh, but you know, that team and, and even Jalen Mills, you know, Jalen Mills was a starting cornerback, uh, on the opposite side of the field when the Philadelphia Eagles beat him in a Super Bowl. Now, granted, he didn't play great because <laughs> Tom Brady threw for 500 yards against them. But again, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, well, this is an absolute mistake. Like Bill Belichick will forget more about football than the collective American public will ever, ever know. And, and, yeah. and that is just the level of brilliance that he is at. Uh, outside of that, guys, there's not been a whole lot of action. The one I would bring up here, uh, we saw Shaq Barrett signed uh, a four-year deal to stay in Tampa Bay. And it really does feel, we talked about Chris Godwin, right, coming back. Uh, obviously, now with, uh, they put, uh, who's the line? Levante David's coming back. Yeah. And now we have. Uh, Shaq Barrett coming back. It really feels like one of those Tom Brady called everybody up and said, Hey, gut boys, let's, let's, let's run it back. Let's get the, Bring band, the band back, back together. Exactly. Yeah. Let's get the band back together. Let's, let's do this because I think no doubt this is, this is a team that has a, has just a lot, you know, I, they have a lot to have a chance to really make another run. And I'm curious to see what happens with Antonio Brown, but I don't know, Vito, what do you think is, is, is Tampa priming themselves up for another great potential Super Bowl run? A hundred percent. I think it means a lot to have a guy at quarterback, like we mentioned earlier, who took pay cuts for so long. And now at the end of his career, he's like, come on guys, you don't want to come win again. And they're all (laughs) like, fuck, like, what am I going to do? Tell him like, no, I'm going to go for the money. Like he did that for so long. I feel like all of these guys now inverted at the, at the end of his career, he's getting more. And at the end of their career, he's kind of asking some of these guys to probably give some up. I mean, the players you mentioned are in their prime, but I'm interested to see like, the Dominican Sue, if he, if he comes back, yeah. um, there, there are some other guys who they could go out and get, um, like just off the bat, uh, you know, there, there are some guys on the defensive line out there, um, that I, I could see Tampa just going after and, 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 you know, going in, whether that be, um, I, what's their weakness though? Like, well, how no, about the fact the that point? they, 
How about the fact that they extended Tom Brady four years? Yeah. <laughs> like that, that in and of itself is crazy. Now, will Tom see the, 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 the end of that contract? Will he live the full Probably. life of it? Probably yeah. not. Nah, because I, that I, puts I, him at 40. I, Jeff, I care about you. That puts I care at, about you. I, I, at some point there had, there will be a day. There will be a day where Tom Brady is not running the fucking NFL. I will put every dollar I've ever made in my life on that. No, he's that's not, a good he's point. He's not playing till 50, oh. right? Well, well, so 47 I, I, is what this contract runs him to. Maybe, but I think that's a good point you're bringing up. Does he become commissioner after he <laughs> retires? He does run the NFL. Like, oh, I think yeah. Tom Brady as a commissioner, okay everyone would be like, well, Tom said, so we're going to fucking do it. Like, that's yeah. what it would be. But who I was talking about earlier was Derek Wolf. I was thinking that'd be a great yeah. replacement for Sue. But either Absolutely. way, I, I'm looking at what they're going to do around him. But without a doubt, I think... He's making calls, and I'm wondering who he's making calls to that aren't on his team. Oh, that's, that's a big thing, right? I mean, there's, oh, been, wow. there's been rumblings of a guy like Julian Edelman potentially getting cut to save. And the Pats have a ton of cap space, so I could also see Bill just being like, no, like you're, you're not just going to go and then run to Tampa Bay for and give a Tom Brady It's going to be a one-year, like $500,000 contract for Julian Edelman if he, if he actually did that. But Tampa Bay is, is they're keeping the core pieces. And one of the things that is so hard to do when you win a Super Bowl, and this speaks to the brilliance and the impact that Tom Brady has on professional football, is that this doesn't happen. When you have that many core guys who are who are going to go out and be able to hit free agency, and maybe they knew Chris Godwin was the one that was probably going to leave. So they said, all right, we're going to put the tag on him. And then we're going to work on these deals for Levante David and for Shaq Barrett because that defense is still going to be nasty. The secondary is still young and hungry, and, and we'll see how they come out after out of next year. But, guys, that's not something that happens in football. No. Because the, the, the opportunity to make money in the NFL is, is such a short window for these guys. They really don't have a lot of opportunities to go out and, and sign big contracts. And when they do, they almost always – We'll, we'll go out and make it. Now, Levante David only signed a two-year deal, right? Levante yeah. David at 31 could have easily found a, at least four-year deal on an open marketplace. But to him, yeah. he would uh, rather he's a come back. Yeah. He would rather come back and sign a two-year deal and stay with, and stay the, yeah. with the Bucks and have another chance to win a Super Bowl while Tom Brady's there. Yeah, and it, it, the run-it-back thing that Kansas City did this, this past football season after they had beat the – my 49ers in the Super Bowl. Um, it, the run it back thing the Chiefs did, they didn't have to make any moves. They were just like, well, the band's all together under contract. Yeah. Just like, let's just throw the same team out on the field. And like, it was still a great team. Um, but well, and that's now, a really, that's a now really is when segue. they have to worry about those, those transition play because they cut yeah. two offensive linemen who uh, protected Mahomes. Mahomes had the worst the worst statistical game of his life. And it was the first game that he didn't have those two linemen, Eric Fisher and uh, I've, uh, who's the Mitchell other Schwartz, Mitchell Schwartz. Thank you. Yeah, no, and I they mean, cut both of those guys. That's a great transition. Cause that's exactly where I wanted to go next here was that, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, a team and Mitchell Schwartz is, is like an all pro level tackle, right? We're yeah. talking about a very high level, talented offensive lineman in Mitchell Schwartz. He's the younger brother of Jeff Schwartz. who was a long time uh, NFL offensive lineman. Then they also release Eric Fisher, who was a first-round pick and had played really well. Now, both of those guys are coming off of serious injuries. Both of those guys are 30 and 31, respectively. But then what do they do today? Because they were able to cut that, they go out and they sign Joe Thurney, who was an offensive lineman. They, he's listed as an offensive guard, 
you know, he can kind of play tackle if they really need to stretch him out, but they signed him to a four-year deal, which was pretty uh, valuable. It was a pretty big contract for an offensive lineman. Uh, and they're going to bring him 28. He was franchise tagged last year by the Patriots. This year, the Patriots let him walk. And now he's signed in Kansas City. One of the most interesting wrinkles that we've seen to this point in free agency was Kyle Long coming back to the NFL, announcing after a, at least one year, it might've been two years, but I think it was just one year that he sat out uh, from the Chicago Bears. You know, I, he's the brother of Chris Long. They had him on Chris Long's podcast. We've referenced it before, Greenlight Pod. It's an excellent listen if you want to learn more about football. They had him on, and they were talking. Like he, he's slimmed up. He's played four offensive line positions in his career. He's played left and right tackle and left and right guard. And he even said on the podcast, jokingly, he's like, I'm, I'm not great at, at snapping the ball. I don't have a lot of reps there, but – if that's where they need me to be, then yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll work on my snaps and, and we'll get it in. So he has a visit scheduled. He was with the Raiders today where is where his dad played. So there's some sort of tie there. No question. Yeah. He has a visit tomorrow to go to Kansas city. And it would be very, very Kansas city chiefs to bring in Kyle long a year rested, cut up and in shape. He's one of those dudes where it was like, he what he didn't do the Joe Thomas thing where he just lost all the weight and got shredded. He did the thing where he was still bulked up because he's a physical freak. The way Chris yeah. Long, who was again a, a 10-year all-pro number two overall pick in the draft, defensive end. You think of those guys as offensive freaks? Kyle Long, like Chris Long says about his brother, he's like, he is a grizzly bear. He's not a human. He's not of us this earth. He got drafted by the White Sox, right? To play baseball. Kyle Long is That's a right. monster of a guy. And so you're going to let him come in a year off, get his legs rested, his knees rested up, heal up, be ready for it and come in in this cut up. He's still bulked. He's still big, but he's slimmed down. And he's just, na- it's just tight and nasty and, and lean and mean. I love Kyle long. He's was one of Take my a favorite cold shower, off- Jeff, dude, yeah, watch dude. him, watch the guy play, <laughs> man. Watch the guy play. He was, he was quitting Nelson before everyone knew I got cared about watching offensive guards play. Like Kyle long is a freak. Oh, good guard play (laughs) to see him come in and to help sure up that line in Kansas city. And you know, he's in, he's like 31, 32. So he's only going to be able to play probably for another four years. Max. Uh, He's a really interesting guy to kind of keep an eye on here too. That would be. Yeah. Cause I had Kansas city at this point until earlier today when they signed Thune and are considering um, Kyle long. I had them trading up in the draft to go get one of those offensive linemen that are up at the top of the board. Yeah, Penny Sewell, but like you, you know what I mean? Because they're at the they're at thirty, they're sitting at thirty-two. They could probably get good value. The offensive line is deep in the draft, but I, if you can go out and get one of those top guys, go do it. And they yeah. have the capital. Well, and not only that, Scott. You know, it's a deep draft class, but also if you look at the offensive tackle position specifically, it's a one-horse race, right? Taylor Moten oh, yeah. was franchise tagged and then signed a one-year deal. Uh, after that so he's he's not necessarily playing under the tag right now uh trent williams so trent is williams the, is it he it's him it's trent williams and then you have villanueva who was the left tackle in pittsburgh for all those years obviously eric fisher and mitchell schwartz are both going to be there riley reef is off the board he's signing back with uh with minnesota russell okung who's been a really productive left tackle he's 32 definitely passes prime there are not a lot of guys hey, whoa, out way <laughs> they're just there's not a lot of guys out there right now who are prime offensive linemen that you can get in free agency and so for kansas city to nab may potentially two out of the top five 
available offensive lineman and free agency is really, really telling. We also saw uh, uh, New England traded, right, for uh, the guy from the, the Raiders, just Trent, Trent Brown, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, they, he traded for, for Trent Brown. So, uh, he, you know, the offensive line position is – always a premium in the NFL games are won and lost in the trenches. We saw that with Mahomes this year. You can have the best skill guys and the best quarterback and a pretty good defense. And if you lose in the trenches, you got no shot. So it will be interesting to see, especially considering one of the things we talked about when we were doing the mock draft there is that the offensive linemen last year. And, and I think what we might see again this year fall because there's five quarterbacks that could go in the top 10. There's three wide receivers who could go in the top 10. There are a lot of really good guys who could go that high up. Uh, we got a Patriots signing. Ooh, Nelson, Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar signed of the Patriots. Wow. Ooh, wow. Wow. See, now that's I a like good, that. That's a perfect transition. I couldn't have asked for anything better there. Number one, I love that signing for Nelly. I love that signing. Well, I mean, it kind of sucks. Unlike Aguilar. <laughs> Cause we don't know what you're going to get out of Cam Newton. Right. Um, but taking a look at the wide receivers that are in free agency right now, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin tagged. Those are two of the top three guys that were available. This is still a really, really deep wide receiver class. Just some of the names at the top, Kenny Galladay. We talked about earlier, how good he's been. Will Fuller had an amazing year last year, unfortunately with, you know, he got busted for PED. So we'll see how that kind of comes out from there. Juju T Y Hilton, Corey Davis, A.J. Green, Curtis Samuel, Sammy Watkins, Rashard Higgins, Antonio Brown, Marvin Jones. The list goes on and on. An interesting name that got added there. One of your boys up in Buffalo, Vito. Uh, 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 John Brown is now a free agent. Um, Wow. A couple other crazy names that like, like Des Bryant. Right. Like there are some even (laughs) deeper ones where it's like this. This you're right. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of names that, you know, Josh Reynolds. (laughs) <laughs> and a lot of names that you don't too. You're exactly right, Vito. There's a lot of names you know, but there's also a lot of really good players that we don't. Guys like Richard Higgins, D.D. Westbrook, uh, Emmanuel Sanders is a free agent right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there is a deep, deep, you know, class. Golden Tate got released. Need really or got cut? Yeah. So you know, there. And in addition to a really, really great wide receiver class, because the premium for the top Man. level guys. They're all going to go in the first round, top 15 picks like we think. But then you, you, you peel back the layer from the Waddle, Jamar Chase, and Devontae Smith class, and it is still loaded. Kadarius Tooney, Terrence Marshall Jr. out of LSU, uh, Rondell Moore out of Purdue. You can keep like, – this is, a, again, back-to-back really loaded wide receiver groups. I want you guys to each pick a name here. I'm going to pick one that, that just kind of jumps out to me because I think he still has some ball left. What happens to A.J. Green? Because can AJ Green find a home with, I don't know, a team like the Rams or opposite side oh. Keenan Allen out west? Yeah. Right? Go to a contender. Because when he played this year, done. he was good. I, I don't know. So here's why I got him in fantasy. I was following him. I don't think he has, like, it was something about his cutting and the way he ran. Like, he could still, if it was a jump ball, I think he could go get it. I think it's how you use him. But I actually think he might be a guy who might do like a one year deal somewhere you know, get under like 500 yards and retire. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I just, after what I saw last year, that's who I, that's what I think about him. In my, in my opinion, the name to talk about in this class, um, especially for someone who um, I guess is over 30 
I think is T.Y. Hilton. I think T.Y. is the guy who's going to grab it and go. See, now, so we had Blake Pace on yeah. who, who covers the, the Colts for SB Nation. He was our, our first ever interview on the read option. And I talked to him about this, and, and he said that he thinks T.Y. either comes back to the Colts or retires. He has been really? very he's been really? very he's been very open about never wanting to play for anybody other than the Colts. And I think TY's I think he's one of those guys that's kind of cut from that old school cloth where to him he it means something to retire in a place that you've spent your whole career. And I think I think the most underrated and under talked about thing of the Andrew Luck retirement was how much that sucked for TY Hilton. Because they were best oh, friends. Yeah. Like it, and it wasn't just like an on the field connection. It was like they were best friends off the field. And I think it really affected him. And then he's dealt with injuries. He's had problems in that kind of regard too. I think T.Y. ends up staying, signing a one-year deal, maybe testing it out to see what it's like with Carson Wentz out there in Indianapolis. But yeah, I don't, I don't know what to expect out of T.Y. I, I mean, the, the big ticket prize left is Kenny Galladay. And oh yeah. What, who is the but, ultimate, like who is the top landing spot for Kenny Galladay? Like where does, where would you want to in a perfect world, see him land? San Francisco. No, I, 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 for a long time have had him in, uh, in Kansas city. I had them cutting, hmm. like shedding some of that, like the Sammy Watkins, Michael Cardman, Nicole Hardman, excuse me. Um, Stuff that that kind of works and doesn't. It's kind of a weird little thing right now. Yeah. Um, that they've got going on with those guys. Um, you shed that. You pick up Galladay, and and have Tyreek on the other side. Wow. <laughs> like, I think I think we see something. You know, I was thinking a little different. Um, I was thinking maybe even something crazy like him going to Dallas. Them making more, like spending more oh money. God. If they're gonna let Des go, and just have him, like four that's, wide, that's what they four want. wide receivers. That's what they want. Clearly, that's what they keep going for. I think they'll actually do it in the draft, or I think somewhere even like I think he's a guy to add to embarrassment of riches, and I think that's just because that's what I want to see. So, like, can what I, about what about Seattle and just get everyone running no, deep and just no, slinging it? Can I, no. can I throw a team out there that's in the same division? Philadelphia. How about Arizona? Oh, I, I thought you were talking love, about the East. How about I Arizona? Let's pair him with DeAndre Hopkins on the outside. And Larry like, Fitzgerald in his last year ever. I, I, I really like Christian Kirk, and I was big on Christian Kirk in fantasy this year, and I think he's got upside still. He's, but he's, I think what Christian Kirk has proven, and he's had now two and a half, two years of this, is he's a really good deep threat, but he doesn't provide much else out other than that. And I think in that spread it out offense, there's room to keep Christian Kirk on the field as a deep threat in the three wide receiver set where instead of uh, Andy Isabella a decoy, you know, but look, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald's still there and, and I, and I get that too, but you know, I, I think Arizona would be an awesome landing spot to, for, to see what he could do with Kyler Murray. We got breaking news. That'd Vito. Be nasty. We got some news. Um, Love this. this one will come in as a shock to many. I'm sure Rob Gronkowski agrees to one year, $10 million dollar with the bucks. Wow. No, no. Right. I mean, are you kidding was, me? But 10 mil is, is pretty, pretty good. I mean, how much of that is a signing bonus though? Cause it's gotta be like at least nine, nine million, million yeah. of that <laughs> is a signing bonus. And then, cause, cause their cap situation is tough. This is an interesting thing. And I wrote this down when I was prepping for this pod and then, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here shortly after this, at least our NFL side of this, the franchise or the, uh, the salary cap is very different in 2021 guys, like very different. Okay. We're talking about a drop 
from this past year, it was 196 million to now it's dropped all the way down to 182 million. All right. So we're, we're talking about an, a 12 to $13 million drop. I had it written down. I don't know what I did with it, but we're talking about a significant drop in terms of how much cap space teams have. And that is a big factor into why in the, the weeks prior to this, Diana Rossini reported, this is going to be a massacre. This is going to be a bloodbath of guys getting cut because nobody was prepared for this. It's like when the NBA cap jumped up by a whole like $40 million a few years ago because of the new TV money. And then you oh. saw guys like Nicholas Patum and Timothy Mozgov signed for these absurd contracts. Alan Crabb, Evan Turner, these like no name guys <laughs> making, well, that's, that's, it worked out for Golden State, but for the rest <laughs> yeah. of the NBA, it was terrible because yeah. it was an opportunity for smaller and lower level franchises to open the, you know, open the bank a little bit, right? Back the Brinks track truck up and say, Hey, how much can we get for these guys? So now all these teams are, are dealing with such a restricted uh, cap navigate. They're navigating this, this tight cap salary right now in a way that they just haven't had to do because historically, and particularly over the last 20 years, the NFL salary cap has done nothing but grow exponentially. It's like year 10 and million year. every year, right? And after, yeah. And after every single TV contract, it jumps up another 20 million. So now it, it with fans back and everything like that, hopefully this upcoming year, it should jump back to the pace that it was on next year. And so you're seeing a lot of teams backload contracts instead of doing linear style deals, which is something field field Yates taught me, uh, you know, the only team, not the only team, but one of the teams that went very, that was still doing the traditional linear contract, which is that you sign a four year or a four year, $40 million a year. You're getting $10 million a year. There's not many teams that are continually doing that anymore. Uh, yeah. Tampa Bay was one of the few that still was. And we're seeing that even Tampa Bay, this team that still felt very traditionally like that was the way they wanted to go about doing their business has kind of moved on past that model. And it's, it's really interesting to see. And, and guys, as we're wrapping up here, I'll, I'll put it this way, right? Because at the end of the day, we're fans, right? So we, we try hard not to show our biases. Cough, Scott, cough. Um, oh, but yeah, sorry. We, Big Niners fan. Over it's, in, it's, in, it's important to remember because it like I've learned that I've tried to do the cold cut, you know, cold turkey. I'm not I'm, – I'm being purely objective, right? But ultimately, like, our passion <laughs> is rooted not only in the game – but also for our teams. So for the Broncos, the 49ers, and I'll give you one for the Eagles as well. Who would be the, the number one signing that you wish your team would be able to pull in here for the 2021 season? Derek Mine's Wolf. easy. Uh. Derek Wolf for Denver. I want him back. He went, uh, he went to Baltimore for a little bit. I think his interior presence. And when he won, when we won a Super Bowl, he was a massive part of it that got away. I think that for, for us, he would be such a great addition. And, and like we talked about before, um, John Harbaugh called him one of the greatest leaders he's ever been around. And he was around Ed Reed and, and Ray Lewis. So uh, I think that's just a leadership personality trait that you'd love to have in your team. And he can perform still at a high level. So that, that's mine. Mine's even easier. It's the number one offensive lineman that's left in free agency. We got to re-sign Trent Williams for the 49ers. And that's, mm. that's the long and the short of it. Yeah, Trent Williams is a good call. Uh, Derek Wolf bringing those guys back. For me, it would have been Matt Milano, but he signed a four-year deal with the Buffalo Bills. So I'm kind of stuck. I would love to see Will Fuller. 
I think he could be a nice compliment in Philly, especially if they go up and draft. If they do draft Kyle Pitts at number six, or if they do draft Jamar Chase or one of those other guys, the Eagles need linebacking help. And I'm not sure they're going to – I don't think they're going to trade back in the draft to get Micah Parsons or uh, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. Fucking nailed the name this time. I've been practicing. Yeah, uh, wow. William Jackson, Patrick Peterson at the cornerback position. I was kind of mulling it over. But the name that sticks out to me, guys, is K.J. Wright. Linebacker, played in Seattle for years. Yeah. I think they can get him on a pretty – uh, inexpensive yeah, you contract. Get a team friendly deal there, yeah. I think they need a little bit. I think they need some leadership. I think they need somebody who can still be productive. But I, you know, when Malcolm Jenkins left the Eagles last year, it was abundantly clear that there was not a a leader of that defense. And I think whether it's him, I really like Quan Alexander. I think he could be another good pickup yeah. too. He's shown oh, signs of being good. Too. But I really love the the leadership and the experience that somebody like KJ Wright could bring in. And for a team like the Eagles, that's in kind of cap hell. Uh, one of those teams in cap hell, I think he'd be a, a, a bargain of a guy you could bring in there uh, in, in free agency. So that's kind of our football news and notes catching us up. You know, we miss some stuff here, but uh, just another great look at what free agency looks like. And I think we'll try to get together again this week. And, and once free agency really kicks off here uh, later in the week, we'll, and, and we really start to see more and more names come off the board. Cause think about guys, we're only about what, seven percent of the way you know maybe five percent of these names that are in like we we really aren't 100 percent sure uh as to where we are right now so uh we'll take a break here and when we come back i need the music i need the i need the cbs march madness music man i just hearing jim nance's voice get your ties ready get the popcorn going get the beers flowing it's march madness time baby let's go we'll be right back (laughs) Boys, it is time. Get ready. The most miraculous, incredible, beautiful, incredible. I said that already, but it doesn't matter because it's March Madness, and it's the first time we've had it for two years, and it comes this week. Last night, the bracket was released, and guys, i got to be honest, man. It was all we were talking about on the radio this morning, and it was all we were talking about on social media. It's, it's, it's all I've seen is bracket fever because we are just itching and dying for a little more March Madness. And uh, Scotty, you and I talked about it a couple weeks ago on the pod when we were going through our, our, our works episode, our Michael Scott pretzel episode. We were talking about our favorite memories and traditions and, and all these wonderful things that are associated with the NCAA tournament. But Vito wasn't with us there. So Vito, I'm going to open the floor from you. Scotty and I, we'll, we'll bring in some memories. We'll throw a little in here. But I got to ask my man, when you think of March Madness, what comes to mind? Man, I have a couple great memories, but without a doubt, the best one that stands out is my brother-in-law, dope guy um, named Derek. He and his friends always get together for the first couple rounds, um, and, and they always go have a trip or go somewhere or watch them live. But a couple years ago, um, we actually ended up going to Miami, and we went to uh, the just super nice resort and everything like that. And he was going to go for a couple of days and watch with his friends. And they were going to stay at somewhere nice. And I was like, hey, I'm in. But then I turned to my friends who are a little more degenerate uh, like me. And we we're just at a co- like, you know, a year or two out of college at this point. Eight of us rolled down the week beforehand in Miami to um, go to stay at like a Ramada Inn, like eight people in one room. Like it was, it was crazy. So we went from that experience over to this hotel and we're watching on all these TVs. We're ordering sushi. We were having a delightful time. It was so awesome. 
great time. Right. But one of my friends, Garrett, uh, from earlier in the week kept saying like, Hey man, after this Miami trip, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to Vegas to go bet on some more games. Like we're going to go there while I was staying in Miami. They all went to Las Vegas for the, for the rounds. Right. So we're watching, having this peaceful time. I see him all of a sudden after the first weekend of the tournament, he went to Penn state. He was one of my roommates gets a Nova tattoo on his forearm. He's like, they're winning. No problem. It's locked up. Like put the tat on gets it. They go on and win. Like he was one of those people and he was living around wow. here. So of course he drives over to Nova the night it happens. And he's like, uh, has the ink on him already. Like, no, I've got a Nova tat. He can get in anywhere. He's got the Nova tat, but yeah. he didn't even go to Nova. Like this guy, was it I love 2018 it. or 2016 though. It was 2016. Would have been, so it was yeah. the Chris Jenkins shot. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> See, now that's, that's I, a story. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, the balls on anyone to go out and get a tattoo that says any sort of champion in the year. I mean, more credit to you. I guess you can go through and get kind of, it's like when you fuck up, like writing a let, like a number on your paper, like you write a nine and you goes, Oh, I meant to write an eight. And then you just quickly like make the extra circle at the Yo, bottom. Like well, there's that's always the something thing. you can but what's, do. What's the, what's the Mendoza line there. Right. Cause like <laughs> to go out and get that beforehand is ballsy enough, but then to get it after is kind of a douche move. Right. Oh yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I guess it, it always, to me, that's always contextual, right? Cause it matters. Like, did you go to the school? Like what's your, what's your tie there? Were you on the team? Like, were you like one of the bench guys and one of the practice yeah. squad guys there? And you were just a diehard, like, I don't have any tattoos, but I can tell you now in 2018, I had the Eagles win the Super Bowl to start off the year. And just a month and a half later, two months later, Villanova brings back its second national championship in three years. And I, as a diehard Villanova fan, like talk about a fucking fucking stretch right there. I mean, as a sports fan, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, but that 2016 season, cause this is, that's a perfect segue. I'm so glad that the answer is 2016 because I want to ask you guys, what was it? When you think back to March madness and, and the years and years we've been watching, cause even if you're just a casual sports fan, you still turn on March madness every single year. What is the defining moment that sticks in your brain? Because I can still, I can paint the scene for you when Chris Jenkins hit the game winner to beat North Carolina in the national championship game. I was a sophomore in college, right? So I'm in full college degenerate mode. It was a Monday night. I'm sure I had class the next morning. I had made buffalo chicken dip, right? So I had orange buffalo chicken dip. And on top, I made a V out of mozzarella cheese. So, you know, even the food I was eating was Villanova inspired, right? And they're, they're going back and forth. And I just have this feeling like, man, I just, I think Nova might pull it up, might pull it out. Marcus Page on UNC hits one of the most insane shots I've ever seen in my life with six seconds to go. Double clutch, Steph Curry range, left-handed three-pointer with a guy in his face, perfect defense. They lock down everything. And Marcus Page gets the pump fake then goes up and on the third attempt as the guy's standing in the air, he's made out, he kicks his legs out. He chucks this thing up. It's a prayer and he buries it. He buries it to tie the game. And I knew, I knew if Villanova went into overtime, they weren't going to win that game. I knew it. And my buddy loving to death, Pearson Swanson, one of my best friends, freshman year, sophomore year roommate. He says, Oh man, I'm changing my Twitter handle to at Marcus page or, you know, something like that. Trying to, you know, trying to be funny and, and get in my face a little bit. And I'm sitting there just like on pins and needles. Like, fuck, man. 
I don't know how this is going to go. Next thing you know, Archie Diakono gets the inbound pass. Oshefu steps up, sets the pick. Archie Diakono makes a move. Or the win. There was a slip on the floor. Archie Diakono gets around. The fourth option on the play, the trailer, Chris Jenkins, from deep, from beyond NBA range, pushes it back. The smartest basketball play. The unselfishness to not take the final shot yourself, but to get the best look that you could. And what does Chris Jenkins do? He hits the only true buzzer beater that's ever happened to win a championship. The only, that, like, legit, yeah. like... We're in I'm the NBA. Getting... There's never a game seven. Like Kyrie's, you know, shot at the end ah, against the Warriors, it. right? Like that was that wasn't a buzzer beater. There was still time on the clock. This is ball is in the air, buzzer sounds, football stadium full of people staring at it, and what happens? Just absolutely buried. The, the call to me, veins, man. The call to me is unbelievable. Because mm. it, it was Archie Archie Diagono driving down the court. He hands the ball off. And it, it almost happened like in slow motion now when I think back on. This is also, by the way, one of my favorite March Madness memories ever. And I'm not even a Villanova fan. Um, but the call from Jim Nance. Archie Diakono to Jenkins for the win. Yes! Oh, I get chills <laughs> thinking about now. It was – Oh, yeah, man. Because the best part, man, was after that hit, I jumped up and yelled, I'm changing my Twitter handle to at Chris Jenkins, motherfucker. Like giving it right back to my buddy. I went nuts, ran around the apartment complex. We started boozing like crazy on a Monday night. It was, you can't write it better than that. You can't write it better than that. And that was the first championship for a team of mine that I had since the 2008 Phillies. And it was only the second one I'd ever seen in my life. And it was, it was unbelievable. I'll never forget it. Scotty, what is that? I mean, obviously that that was an amazing moment. What is your favorite when you, when you think back to this time, what is your favorite memory when it comes to to the march madness and, and the ncaa tournament uh that's definitely top three i'm old enough to remember the the christian leitner shot um but also oh, yeah. um i think i think to the uh the george mason run in what was that 2006 uh which was just magical uh, oh my God, the whole yeah. thing and i didn't even live I, I i used to live in fairfax virginia um but that was long after college and uh that that run happened while I was in high school. Um, so it was kind of funny. Like I would go to, to, uh, you know, I know people that went to, to George Mason, a lot of people that went to George Mason. And I would, that was the first thing I'd always bring up is that run in that tournament. And then the, uh, the Steph Curry one in 08. Um, oh yeah. The Davidson run just like, and after we drafted the Warriors drafted him, I'm a Warriors fan. Yeah. Uh, after we drafted him, I was like, yes. <laughs> Dude, I knew Look, then, man. Like, I, I yeah. how, how did you I, yeah, not exactly. watch that tournament and not be like, this kid's bringing Davidson to the yeah. Sweet 16? Like, Elite what? eight, man. Elite eight, yeah. Even further. Yeah. I I knew at that moment there was there was a magnitude surrounding this small, skinny kid who could just pull up from anywhere. And yeah, the only thing before or since that I felt even remotely close to it was Trey Young. And even still, once you got to the tournament, yeah. you were like, it's not, it's not the same. It's not no he because there was such a seismic shift. Uh, watching Steph Curry play, you were like, "Oh, well, this is changing the game." Um, like it's 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 a defining moment in basketball history. Basketball, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Absolutely. So that those are my two that stick out to me. But you'd also have to throw in Sister Jean, right? UMBC. Oh yeah, Sister Jean. Uh, yeah, and no, they're they're uh, really good this year. We and she's still kicking. Chicago, Sister Jean. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
then UMBC, yeah. One uh, against UMBC against uh, UVA, but uh, Vito coming back the next year winning a championship. But, oh yeah. my yeah, god, my, mine's a little more off off key here, but it was during I think the 2017 tournament, and it was uh, Tyler Dorsey from Oregon. And he kept making just three after three. They upset Kansas, top seeded Kansas that year in Kansas City. Um, and I think, yeah, he went nine for 13 in that game. Ooh, like nine for 13. He, he ended up just going off and he hit, um, you know, a, a game winning shot towards the end that I just remember having a bunch of money on. And I just remember just betting on Oregon and them going on this deep run. And every time I was throwing more and more. And it was one of those, those, that was their March final Madness four runs. run, right? Yeah, when, exactly. And so as as like you're betting on this team and they keep going, that's how you remember them, right? So it's funny now to think back. My favorite memories are without a doubt associated with uh, gambling on Oregon. Oh, well, you know. Hey, why not? Hey, Oregon could make – I don't think they'll make the same run as they did that year, but Oregon, Ooh, you know, they're, they're, they're a pretty good know. team. They're, an yeah. interest, they're, a, they're in a very winnable uh, region of the tournament, and I think that's a good transition here because uh, I'm going to put out a pod probably later in the week, and Scotty, you might hop on with me. We might go through a little bit more of this as we get ready here for you know the college basketball madness to begin. Uh, but what I do need from both of you guys here is I need a national championship pick. I need I need you to look at the bracket. I'm not sure if you guys have filled them out. Uh, oh, I filled and, out like 20 so far. So. I need I need you to say right now, stone cold lock of the century putting your life on the line who is winning the ncaa championship here in 2021 the first like, this is just going to be the most weird and unique national championship we've ever seen who do you got winning it i i personally have gonzaga i'm just going to be that guy right if i had to put my life on it i'm going gonzaga now i have some upset picks we might hit on but but gonzaga if if i'm putting my life on it i'm doing gonzaga Illinois. Ooh. Illinois is sneaky, man. Yeah. No, it, the it, only the only roadblock I see for Illinois is Houston, which is the two seed in that bracket. Houston can fuck with anybody. Uh, but Illinois, man, that that team can make some Illinois, if you know what I mean. Um and and, and they'll be pouring the yeah. champagne. Yeah. Champagne. I think so. I'm, like I'm picking that. there before in the Champlain. Nice. Love to see it. Urbana Champlain. You know, um, you're not the only one who can make a good dad joke on this pod, Scotty. Thanks buddy. <laughs> I, I love the enthusiasm. That's, that's big energy and I'm about it. Um, yeah. Illinois. Uh, I'm going Illinois. Yeah. So I, I hate to, to agree, uh, but Illinois is who I have winning it all too. And I think there's, it, there's nothing wrong with taking Gonzaga because I think if you're if you're playing just the odds and everything, I mean, it's really hard to go wire to wire undefeated, and that's something that we very much could see. I mean, their their region of the tournament right now is wide open, and Gonzaga is they're just a really freaking good team. They have experienced guys. They have a couple guys on the roster who were there when they made their national championship run a few years ago. Mark yeah. Few is the most is just he's a phenomenal oh, yeah. coach. That's, he's up it's there. It's not to discredit Gonzaga, yeah, for sure. No. Uh, I think, I, but I just think when you look at when you look at March Madness and who's going to win, you have to look at guard play and who is this? Who is the next best guy next to them? And Ayudasumo is 
uh, is awesome. He is he's a monster. Every, he's everything you want in college in a college basketball player. The guy has dropped triple double after triple double, which is really hard to do in college basketball. He makes it look effortless. And then they got Baby Shaq there, Kofi Cockburn, who yep. is a really like he's going to be a problem for other teams' front courts to match because he is overpowered. He's not as big. He's not a true seven footer. But he's got a big old ass, man. He can work it down in the post. He's got some good post moves. He's a great offensive rebounder. Uh, and, and you saw it in the in the Big Ten championship game this weekend. Like, Ohio State has some big bodies who I thought might have been able to, to slow him down a little bit. And he just had no problem, man. He works through them. What I'm probably most excited about in that region of the bracket, uh, I'm not as high on Houston as you, Scotty, but they would theoretically have to get through Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State has arguably the uh, best Pokes. player in the country in Cade Cunningham, who should be yeah. the number one overall pick in the draft. He's built for the NBA. And when you have a, a, an elite level talent in college basketball, particularly now when there's there's not a Zion, there is no clear cut guy. And we've kind of turned Cade Cunningham into that in a lot of regards. Cade Cunningham can go off and, and he gets everybody involved. He's a really, really smart and talented basketball player. And Oklahoma State's a dangerous team. I thought it was insulting that they got a four seed after the run they just went on there in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, came up a little bit short against Texas, but they also just beat Baylor. I mean, Baylor only had one loss all year and was playing really good basketball going to that game. I'd be terrified to play Oklahoma Texas. State. Texas uh, is a sneaky team too, by the way. Texas is another one of those sneaky teams. Uh, but I really like um, Illinois. I, I think but, Illinois is going to make a, a really deep run here. And a matchup between them and Baylor potentially in the final four. Oh my God. Take the over, whatever it is, take it <laughs> has me. It has me drooling. Cause both of those teams while being excellent offensively can play really good defense too. Yeah. And that's, what's so exciting. It's it, they're but very they're both, evenly. They're matched. both the same. They both stretch the floor. Yeah. It's oh, great. Yeah. For, oh my God. Sure. That would be such a great game. I think Alabama's a team that can get hot. Alabama shoots it better from three I, yeah. than any other team in the country. So uh, in most of my brackets, I have Alabama coming out of that region. Yeah, and and I think Michigan, you know, Michigan's lost one of their best players. Um, yeah, and I'm not and, sold on them. They haven't played well uh, down the stretch here. No, and, and how you play uh, oftentimes kind of leads into it. The last caveat thing I, I'd mention here is it sucked to see, you know, less Duke because Duke at that point was uh, not expected to make the tournament, but uh, teams like Kansas, UVA, Duke, three blue blood programs here that had to pull out of their conference tournament. We have to take a minute. Similarly, we'll go full circle here to how we started off the pod, which is that we are doing this in COVID, right? So keep an eye out on stuff because this is the first time we've ever had to have backup teams on on the ready that could fly out to Indiana and, and play in this tournament. But from everything I've heard, the bubble is very safe. It's very strict. Uh, what, not, what are those not, four teams, by the way? Syracuse. Uh, I know Louis, Louisville is the number one. Uh, I think Colorado State is in that mix. I think Syracuse is in that mix. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see. And I think for the most part, we'll be okay. I think we'll get through this. No question. I think we will crown a champion at the end, but Hey, you're, you're putting 64, 68 teams in a bubble, one outbreak, one slip, one, this one, that, uh, and things can change. So let's all just fingers crossed, pray it up. Hope for, hopefully we get to an end, uh, here and uh, and we have a wonderful March Madness but uh, that's all we got for today boys we hit it hard we hit it energetic 
We talk all sorts of football, all sorts of good stuff. We have an interview coming out with my man, Kevin Haswell. He's a producer for Sports Center up at ESPN. We're going to get into a lot of NBA stuff that should be recorded uh, tomorrow. So keep an ear out for that. And then we might even get a little ballsy and try to get three podcasts out here this week. Because you know what? We... We, we took a break, and I think the people deserve to get as much of the read option here as they can. So, uh, yeah, Scotty, got a lot and, pent you know, up. <laughs> as, as, as always, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me, and uh, this is always fun. Keep it locked in. I promise we're not going to go away after this episode like we said last time, and we'll be back on later this week on the read option. Take it easy. Enjoy the madness. We'll talk to you next time.